This is the Victory Podcast. Every week, we'll share an inspiring message about God's grace and forgiveness for you, wherever you're at in life. Your victory starts now. Why don't we begin with prayer and uh, and then we can join our discussion here. Lord God, thank you for allowing us to study your word this morning. Pray that we would be convinced again um, that your word is true, that you are worthy to listen to and to meditate on your word. Direct us in the way that we should go. Uh, be our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. So as people kind of jump on, and so glad to see everybody jumping on, I just want to maybe begin talking about some things that, that you know I'm concerned about. As we continue through this pandemic, I'm concerned about our habits uh, there has been, uh, you know, I, I, I'm. I think I want to write more about this. That these habits of uh, that that structured our life of of worship, of of getting into God's word, of being in community. All these habits are going away, and so I hope that that maybe just the group that's meeting here, all of us can be re redevote ourselves um, to the habit of of. Being devoted to Jesus, devoted to His Word, devoted to community, um, longing for um, receiving communion in the community, um, rediscovering the importance of God's Word. Because, man, I just feel uh, you know the, our culture and all of us just kind of slipping into habits of I can do this on my own. I don't really, you know, I, we've made it this far without meeting in person last two months without being in person in worship. And we might have this false sense of security, although we're filled with anxiety, filled with dread, um, filled with distractions. Um, I just hope that we can be redevoted to Jesus, his word, his community, his means of grace, the Lord's Supper, um, uh, redevoted to each other. Um, man, this has just been such a disruption. So uh, I, I just hope that we can rediscover uh, rediscover all those wonderful things. Um, w- so what what I want to do this morning is as you know we consider all the the disruptions that are going on in our world. You know, I, I posted on Facebook yesterday that you know, man, I'm just waiting for Godzilla to come out of Lake Ma- Michigan because it just seems like every day there's a new crisis. It was the pandemic. Who would have guessed a pandemic? Who would have guessed a, a lockdown, a quarantine? Who would have guessed, um, you know, that there would continue to be violence? Um, and then who would have guessed the riots? And then now there was, there, you know, there's murder hornets. And then there was, um, yesterday, we had a tropical storm that came through Wisconsin. It was like the third time we've had a tropical storm in the history of records. Really almost the first time it's come right through Wisconsin. And then there was a kangaroo that was discovered in um, in in Franklin, Milwaukee yesterday. I mean, just like the most bizarre world ever. So in, in such a bizarre year, 2020, to go back in history as the most bizarre time, I think, in, in our history, I want us to go ground ourselves again in Scripture. And when Paul was writing to his, uh, his pastor, he was training uh, Timothy. He said that... Um, you know, from infancy, you've known the holy scriptures, which are able to make you wise for salvation in Christ Jesus. That all scripture is God breathed and useful 
for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the person of God may be fully equipped for every good work. I want us to come back to this conviction in this crazy, bizarre world that we can rely on God, his word, and, and, and come to the word with a, a sense of awe and wonder and, and, and um, anticipation that God is going to speak to us in, in, in remarkable ways, that his word is, is designed and, and eternal and living and active and, and it can handle the bizarre situations that we are in. So I hope that we can see that the, that God's word can handle even the bizarre 2020. Um, so so I want to begin Genesis chapter one. Uh, Pastor Bill took a break again from our normal sermon series into the wilderness and talked on race. And I just want to back up and and he mentioned this in the sermon. I just want to dig a little deeper. What does it mean to be human? Where did all our races come from? Um, what what does a human deserve? Why are we, why do we have racism? What is the cause of racism? How do we fight against it? And 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 what it's going to look like uh, uh, as Jesus continues to rule in our hearts and our lives. So open up to Genesis chapter one and let's dive in. Here we go. Genesis chapter one, we have the story of creation, how God created everything. He says, after each day, it was good. It was good. It was good. It was good. And then on the last day, he's creating mammals um, and then, um, you know, land animals, that kind of thing. And then he turns and creates human beings. I, I had a friend who mentioned, you know, like dogs and humans were created in the same day. You know, maybe that's why we, we love our dogs so much and man, best friend. Uh, but, but, but God makes humans unique, makes them different. And uh, verse 26 says, Then God said, Let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, over the livestock, and over all the wild animals, over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God blessed them and said to them, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth, subdue it, rule over the fish of the sea, the birds of the sky, and over every living creature that moves along the ground. Then God said, I will give you every seed-bearing plant on the face of the whole earth and every tree, um, every tree that has fruit with seed in it, they will be yours for food. And to all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and all the creatures that move along the ground, everything that has the breath of life in it, I give every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw all that he had made and it was very good. It was very good. And there was evening and there was morning in the sixth day. So there's so much in there. Um, but really, this is the grounding of what it means to be human. You won't find the definition of humanity um, in in a college classroom. You won't find it in a scientific laboratory. You won't find it in any other religion. Uh, only in the scriptures do you find this definition of a human being that humans are a unique creation of God made in God's image. 
That is the basis of what it means to be human. That when you look at another human being, no matter how boring that person might look, that's how C.S. Lewis in his, in his sermon, um, Weight of Glory, I, I'd encourage all of you to read uh, his famous sermon, C.S. Lewis, Weight of Glory. You can uh, you know Google that. And his, it, it, he talks about um, when you look at, at another human being when you're at church or whatever, and, and they might be the most boring uh, person you've never seen, and yet, um, on the last day, you will, when their when their glory is revealed, when when they're renewed, you would be tempted to worship them. Uh, just this idea that that human beings are this glorious creation that they are made in the image of God. When we look at another human being, we should look at them. You know, Jesus says, "Whatever you did for the least of these, you did for me." Jesus is saying uh, they are made in God's image. They are re a reflection of God. And whatever you do to another human being, you are doing to God. And so again, all this top topic about racism and violence and, and all of that, um, we don't have a, a, a basis for any of the discussion on human rights from government, from, from maybe the scientific laboratory, from the humanities department in the, the university, we need scripture to remind us what it means to be a human. A human is made in God image, God's image. And what were they made for? God's, God blessed them and said, um, be fruitful and increase in number, fill the earth and subdue it, rule over creation. So human beings are made in God's image and they're made to reflect um, God and they're made to rule as kind of his um, his under uh, they're made to rule as his representatives as his ambassadors. God is the ultimate king of creation and human beings are made to rule over his creation um, like 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 kings um, like kings underneath them like the second in command. And so all human beings deserve the right to, to flourish. All human beings are seen to be um, important. And, and, human, and, and here's another thing. Humans, are, there, there's one human race. The Bible doesn't say there's many different races. The Bible says there's a race, a human race. That means we are all one. And, and so these are the kind of things that we need to be grounded again. I feel like, man, we are getting more divided than ever because uh, we are, are are finding all these different distinctions. We are demeaning each other. We and and this actually comes out of a Darwinian idea of human beings that human beings, you know, survival of the fittest. Human beings are are evolving creatures that you know some you know coming from apes and and some are lower, some are more important. If you look at at the world from a Darwinian perspective you're not going to find this high value of human beings, of human rights. So, um, man, just so good to see so many people ch chiming in. Uh, feel free to comment on anything that I'm saying, anything that, uh, that, that, that you want a response to, any questions you have or anything you want to add to the conversation. I hope this can be a dynamic uh, conversation. So, what is a human being? A human being is made in God's image. And then, if you turn to Genesis chapter 9, after the flood... Um, God explains, because humans are made in God's image, um, then this is how we're supposed to treat them. He says, um, I'm, I'm just going to read most of uh, Genesis chapter 9 here. All right. Oh, thank you, Nancy. Nancy's so good about, I'm so glad you're here, Nancy. She showed 
the, 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 the link to Weight of Glory, a fantastic sermon, probably C.S. Lewis' most famous sermon. So thank you, Nancy. Um, here, I'm going to read Genesis 9. Then God blessed Noah and his sons. Again, a re- repetition of Genesis 1. Be fruitful and increase in number and fill the earth. So he's repeating Genesis 1. The fear and dread of you will fall on all the beasts of the earth and all the birds of the sky and every creature that moves along the ground. Again, you're going to rule over all those things. They are given into your hands. Everything that lives and moves about will will be food for you. Just as I gave you every green plant, now I give you everything. So in Genesis chapter 1, God says that you are, you know, he's given every green plant to human beings. After the flood, now he says, I give you every animal for food. And so I love this verse because I love a good steak. I love a good cheeseburger, right? And God is saying, now um, you can kill and eat, kill and eat an animal, go deer hunting, go go have a steak. Um, But then he says, but you must not eat meat that has the lifeblood in it. Um, I don't think we always think about this, but but just have an appreciation for life. Have an appreciation for life. So they were to drain um, the lifeblood out of uh, out of it to, to not. I think that also has something to do with cultic practices of drinking blood, as if if you drank the blood of animals or of people, you would get their energy. And I think that's kind of what's behind this verse, verse four. And for your life, but I will surely demand accounting. I will demand an accounting from every animal. And I and each human being too, I will demand an accounting for the life of another human being. And here's the verse I want to focus on. Verse 6, this poetic thing about human beings. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. For in the image of God has God made mankind. So it's a poetic way of of saying every human being has inalienable rights and deserves protection. Whoever sheds human blood, by humans shall their blood be shed. So if you shed human blood, you kill somebody, uh, you deserve also to receive that same kind of punishment. Why? For in the image of God has God made mankind. He's going back to this idea. You can eat animals because animals aren't made in the image of God. Humans are made in the image of God. They are character they are they deserve special protection uh, a baby uh, an older person uh, you know this this prohibits abortion this prohibits euthanasia but it also prohibits uh, racial discrimination it, it, it prohibits anything that would hurt another person um, no matter what their race or their whatever you know their um, their sexual orientation whatever you know their their political party whatever you know their skill set um, you know if somebody has lower mental capacities uh, it doesn't matter are they a human being were they born a in God's image, they deserve to be protected. They deserve to be um, treasured. You are to treat them as if you, how you would treat God himself. You are to see in that person a reflection of God, okay? So uh, just very, very important. All right. Really, I mean, I could spend hours and hours. I'll, I'll not spend hours and hours, but I could. On just this verse, humans were made in the image of God. That is really the foundation of morality, what does it mean to be ethical, moral? Treat another person like you would treat God. Another way to say it, love your neighbor as yourself. Um, find in them 
when you worship God, you worship God by treating that human being how you would want to be treated. Okay? Well, so, so we have one human race. They're made in God's image. Nobody should shed the blood of another human being. Now, where did all these human races come from? So we were in Genesis 1, then we went to Genesis 9, then we went to, now I want to look at Genesis 10. In Genesis 10, you have the table of nations. Now, some people look at this as a metaphorical or, or, or that these first 11 chapters are more kind of, um, you know, just symbolic. I, I personally believe that, that there is a, a pretty good evidence that you can look at these literally because Jesus seemed to look at them literally. Paul seemed to look at them literally. I personally believe that, um, and, and maybe you don't, maybe you're not there yet, or maybe you have a different interpretation, but the chapter 10 is the table of nations. That from Noah came Shem, Ham, and Japheth, and there is this beautiful description of how these three um, these three children and their and their wives, how they populated the earth and where these different nations went to. And, and what was the start of the Canaanites, these ancient cultures that, you know, even outside of the Bible uh, tell us, you know, so so this is how the different race or, you know, cultures. Again, I, I think we need to learn to say one human race, not races, but the one human race spread out into different cultures, the table of nations in chapter 10. And it's a list of nations. And so you might not, you might skip over it, but I, I would encourage you to maybe look at a map of it, make it look at a visual of where um, the, the children of Noah, Shem, Ham, and Japheth, how they spread out to create the, the Egyptians and the Babylonians and the Assyrians and the Canaanites and the Arameans and all these different uh, ancient people. And... Then in chapter 11, we get a little bit more detail as to how that actually happened, how that actually happened. So chapter 10 says where people go, but how did that happen? That's the Tower of Babel. The Tower of Babel, um, and, and you could actually call it the Tower of Babylon. That's kind of actually the original uh, understanding. Um, the Tower of Babel, the, the, the Tower of Babel is this story about how the world tried to set itself up against God to create its own uh, version of, of you know, uh, autonomy from God. And so I'll just read it real quickly here. I'll try not to be too long on this. Now, the whole world had one language and a common speech, one nationality, one, um, one culture. As the people moved eastward, they found a plain at Shinar and settled there. They said to each other, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Let's use brick instead of stone and tar for mortar. They said, come, let us build uh, an, ourselves a city with a tower that reaches to the heaven so that we can make a name for ourselves. Otherwise, we'll be scattered over the whole face of the earth, which is just what God told them to do. Be fruitful um, and, and increase in number and, and, and scatter over the whole face of the earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower the people were building. The Lord said, if as one people speaking the same language they've begun to do this, then nothing they plan to do, um, to do will be impossible for them. Come, let us go down and confuse their language so they will not understand each other. So the Lord scattered them from over all the earth and they stopped building the city. This is why it's called Babel or Babel or Babylon, because there the Lord confused their language of the whole world. From there the Lord scattered them over the whole face of the earth. 
So I believe that, that this is why the Bible is so useful. You have these questions. What does it mean to be human? You're made in God's image. No matter how much pigment you have in your skin, what do humans deserve? Protection. Look at what it says in Genesis 9. Um, uh, be, if a human sheds the blood of somebody by a human, their blood will be shed because they're made in the image of God. So no human should take the life of another or disrespect the life of another, or hurt another life because they're made in the image of God. All right. Um, that what means to be human, but where did all these cultures, all these nationalities come from? These different pigments in our skin, the darker or lighter pigments of our skin or different backgrounds or, or cultures. Well, that happened as the world was scattered after the Tower of Babel, where God uh, wanted people to, to scatter so that they would not all uh, trust in themselves, but they would, would scatter and, and use the world that he made. I, I just find this to be, you know... Even scientifically, you can go back and look at archaeology and, and there is a connection um, uh, to the ancient cultures and when they started and, and many records in ancient cultures in Asia and Africa go back about six, eight thousand years. They don't go back farther than that, maybe 10 in, in some uh, parts of, 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 of um, Egyptian literature, but mostly six, eight, ten thousand years. And, and it seems their, their stories match up with this. All right. So that's the story of, of, um, of, of how we got here. Now, where does racism come from? Where does hatred come from? How does this happen? And what can we do about it? Well, Genesis 3, um, I'm, I'm not going to go into that because I've taught on that so often. And maybe you've heard that story uh, uh, already. And again, uh, so great to see so many of you here this one. It's this fantastic group. Uh, feel free to comment or question or stop me or, or add your own thoughts as we're going through this. But in Genesis 3, God says, you know, you can eat from any tree, but don't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And I think uh, I, I, you really follow the Bible Project and Tim Mackey um, talks about this. And it really has been helpful for me that that tree represented God. And God understands good and evil. And God is supposed to be in the center of our lives. And, and God tells us what's right and wrong. That it's right to protect a human being. It's wrong to, to think that we can um, hurt another human being. You know, God defines right and wrong. Um, what happens when human beings set up their own version of right and wrong? You have Stalin, you have Hitler, who say that some people are not worthy of, of life and protection. You have... You have injustice. You have, you have all sorts of other problems. So God defines what's right and wrong. And so we're not, we can eat from any tree, but when we, we can't eat from that tree. We can't eat from the tree that says, I want to choose right and wrong for myself. I'm going to pluck um, that, that, that fruit and eat it and say, no, I'm the owner of right and wrong. So God said, don't eat from that tree. Well, we know what happens, right? Human beings... Mankind, Adam means mankind, human beings ate from that tree. They define, try to define right and wrong. And then the next story sees what happens. What happens when I say I define right and wrong? Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4. This, I've taught on this, so hopefully you're not sick of the story. I'm sure not sick of this story. Cain and Abel. Super simple story, but I think it helps us understand where racism, where violence, where hatred, where this division comes from, and where does it start, and what we can do about it. Cain and Abel, Genesis chapter 4. Adam made love to his wife. Literally in the Hebrew, um, Adam knew his wife. 
Eve. And she became uh, that yada mean as the Hebrew word to to know somebody. Well, they, Adam knew her at the deepest level. He made love to his wife Eve, and she became pregnant and gave birth to Cain. She said, "With the help of a man." Um, Luther thought that that maybe this translation could be, um, "I brought forth a man, the Lord." That maybe Eve thought this was the Messiah already. Um, but but anyways, later she gave birth to her brother Abel. Now Abel kept flocks and Cain worked the soil. In the course of time, Cain brought some fruits of the soil as an offering to the Lord. And Abel also brought an offering, fat portions, the best, from some of the firstborn of his flock. The Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering, but on Cain and his offering, he did not look with favor. Okay, so... You get the story here, Adam and Eve, first children, uh, Cain and Abel. Cain is working the, fl- uh, uh, working the fields. He brings some of his harvest as an act of worship. But Abel sees God, you know, I don't want to read too much into it, but he brings the fat portion as if to say he believed that God was worthy of his best. He, he seemed to have a, a deeper devotion to God. And so he gave the fat portions. It's the only distinction between the two, and I think it's intentional. He gave his best. And so the Lord looked with favor on Abel. Abel was bringing his best. It came from a heart of worship. It came from a heart of devotion. But on Cain, he he didn't see that kind of devotion, okay? So Cain was very angry and his face downcast. He was angry. He was angry angry and jealous that his brother received favor from the Lord. Now, when we talk about this problem of racism, um, it starts with anger. It starts with division. It starts, and and not not just racism, but any division. Division between political parties, division between neighbors, division between family members. It begins with a sense of entitlement, a sense of I'm better than you and I'm not getting what I deserve. You're less, you're, and, and a sense of envy. Um, and he was angry. Then the Lord said to Cain, the Lord saw this in Cain. He saw this kind of envy and anger. Why are you angry? Why is your face downcast? If you do what is right, will you not be accepted? But if you do not do what is right, sin is crouching at your door. It desires to have you, but you must rule over it. Okay. So profound here. Racism, inequality, um, hatred begins when I forget seeing that that other person is made in the image of God. That they deserve, um, in, instead, of, instead of looking at that person as an equal looking at that person as somebody who represents God, now Cain looks at his brother and sees him as a problem. He's getting in the way. Um, he, he gets the, into this idea that I would get blessing if I, if, I could just, if I could just get rid of or use or take advantage of my brother. My brother is standing in the way of me being blessed. My brother, this other person is standing in the way of me being having the life I wanted. And God sees this and he says, 
That's not your problem. Cain, your problem is not that other person. Your problem is your own sense of entitlement, your own sense of, of, of um, your own lack of love for me, your own heart. And sin is crouching at your door. And it wants to devour your heart. You must uh, rule over it. And so when we see any kind of violence or brutality, you know, so often, uh, you know, I think about the situation with the police officer and George Floyd, you know, acting out of his own anger, his own issues. I, you know, I probably shouldn't read into his motives, but it's pretty clear to me. You know, he tried to take it out on another person as if that person was his problem. Right. Um, he had his own internal issues that he didn't deal with himself. And so he took it out on another race, another people group, another group. You know, that person is my problem. And then we all do that. And at some level, we all do it. We, we, it's, it is too hard to face the demons within. And so we think the easier, better strategy to get the kind of life that we wanted, the flourishing that we wanted, is to get rid of them. Now, this happens politically. I mean, you just turn on any, um, I used to love uh, talk radio. And, and, you know, I love to listen to both sides of the argument. Conservative, liberal, you know, just crazy to me that there's just an endless amount of, of talking. And all it is, is if we could just get rid of that other side, if we could just get rid of that other side, whatever that other side is, if you're a conservative, if we could just get rid of liberals, if you're a liberal, if we just get rid of conservatives, if you're white, could just get rid of the blacks, if you're black, just get rid of the whites. We, we all want to locate our problem outside of us. But sin is crouching at your door. Sin is crouching at my door. And I need to deal with my own internal issues, my own internal sin, my own problem of wanting to, to my own problem of thinking that, that if I could just get rid of that other person, that other problem, then my life would be okay. That all my problems are outside of me. That race, that political party, that neighbor, that relative, and I never look inside to see how messed up I am, how selfish I am. But Cain didn't listen to God. Cain thought, if I could just, what's keeping me from blessing is not a renewed heart. What's keeping me from blessing is Abel. And so I'm going to kill him. And this is just a dark story. I mean, this is page four of the Bible, verse eight. Now Cain said to his brother, let's go out to the field. While they were in the field, Cain attacked his brother Abel and killed him. Then the Lord said to Cain, where's your brother Abel? I don't know. He replied, am I, am I my brother's keeper? The answer is yes, you are. You're supposed to love other people. He's made in your image, uh, made in God's image. You're supposed to love your brother. Verse 10, the Lord said, what have you done? Listen, your brother's blood cries out to me from the ground. Now you are under a curse and driven from the ground, which has been, which, which opened its mouth to receive your brother's blood from your hand. When you work the ground, it will no longer yield its crops for you, and you will be a restless wanderer on the earth. God is a just God. He will respond to, um, he will bring to justice those who, who kill each other, hurt each other. Um, he, he's calling all of us to repentance. He's calling all of us to repentance of, of how we've treated another human being who's made in God's image. If you see anything less than somebody made in God's image, uh, you're missing out on who God really uh, has designed that other person to be.
So hopefully, again, you're, you're convinced that God's word is, is able to handle our problems of racism, uh, inequality, uh, injustice. God's word can handle it. Um, and this is the only resource we ultimately have. Governments can't fix this. Um, the humanities part, the science, science department, the biology class at university can't fix this. Even police officers can't fix it. We have to fix this as Christians. And it starts by recognizing, hearing God's voice say, sin is crouching at your door. God's saying to you and me, you think your problem is that other race? You think your problem is that other um, that other party, that political party, that other person? You think your problem is outside of you? You need to start by seeing the problem is inside of you. That you and I, we don't look at uh, that other person as someone made in the image of God. Almost, as, 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 um, as C.S. Lewis says in that sermon, almost deserving of worship. That a human being is almost... Um, deserving of worship. That's how far we should take it. Jesus says this, whatever you've done for the least of these, you've done for me. So all, all that. So, all right, Rebecca, thank you so much. Uh, yeah, it's interesting that God didn't pull, put full color pictures in the Bible, right? <laughs> yeah, you know, all, all, all those, it's it just, we don't know how much pigment pigment was in Cain and Abel's skin, but um, you, you know that that's what it is. We're just we're all human beings. We're we all uh, we're, we're all made in God's image, and 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 man, we just have so much division instead of appreciation for people of, of the same. We're all one human race. Okay. Any other thoughts? I welcome this as I move on to Romans five. Here's the ultimate answer. Romans five. We have to just face this reality. Um, verse, verse 12, Romans 5. Therefore, just as sin entered the world through one man, through human beings, and death through sin, in this way, death came to all people because all sinned. All of us are sons of Adam and Eve. All of us have the capacity to do what Cain does. And Jesus says, if you hate your brother, you're as good as a murderer. Um, and so all of us need a new heart. All of us need Jesus. All of us need to be redeemed and forgiven and, and brainwashed in the best sense of the word by God's word. We, we need a total reset of, 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 human being, of, of what it means to be human and what that other human being is. Verse 13, to be sure sin was in the world before the law was given, but sin did, was not charged against anyone's account where there was no law. Nevertheless, death reigned from the time of Adam to the time of Moses, even before those who did not sin by breaking a command as Adam did, who was a pattern of the one to come. But the gift is not like the trespass. I mean, there's so much I could talk about there, but I won't go into it. Uh, verse 15, for if the many died by the trespass of one man, how much more did God's grace and the gift that came by, his, by, by, by the grace of that one man, Jesus Christ, overflow to the many? Nor can the gift of God be compared with the result of one man's sin. The judgment followed one sin and brought condemnation, but the gift followed one man's trespass and brought justification. For if by the trespass of one man death reigned through that one man, how much more will those who receive God's abundant provision of grace and the gift of righteousness reign in life through the one man, Jesus Christ? 
Consequently, just as one trespass resulted in condemnation for all people, so also one act of righteousness uh, uh, resulted in justification and life for all people. For just as through the disobedience of one man, the many were made sinners, so also the obedience of the one man, many were made righteous. So again, just this whole idea that all of us have sinned, there's one human race. We're all sons of Adam and Eve, black or white. Whatever your race is, we're all sons of Adam and Eve. We've all sinned, and so we need to be redeemed in Jesus Christ. We, we need to, as we, we appreciate the diversity of cultures, of backgrounds, of different pigments of skin, lighter colored skin, darker colored skin, as we appreciate those differences, we need to start, though, with our unity. What, what unites us? We're all human beings. We're all made in God's image. Um, all these things, we're, we're, um, we're all sinful. We're all messed up. Uh, and so our greatest problem is not outside of us, that other race, that other culture, that other political party. Our biggest problem is inside of us. And in Jesus Christ, we've all been forgiven. And so Paul makes this application for you are all sons and daughters in Jesus Christ. There is neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, um, male nor female. We're all one in Christ. So that kind of concludes my thoughts on race and violence and where it comes from and how the Bible responds to it. I wanted to keep teaching. If you want to stick around, you can leave if you want. I wanted to keep teaching on, on, on the Psalms. I, I taught this a couple days ago, and I've just been so excited to teach on Psalm 46. So if you're still uh, able to, I mean, stick around. Obviously, if you want to drop off, and um, that, that's fine too. But, um, but I want to talk about uh, Psalm 46. I, 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 I studied this, and, and I've got some, you know, I just had some new perspective on it. And some of you have heard this as if you came to our kind of our Lord's Supper service uh, or have heard me teach on this, but but I've just been blown away by it. So um, if you want to stick around, I'll keep teaching if that's all right. Okay. So Psalm 46 is one of um, uh, the greatest parts of scripture, I think. And and if you, if you follow um, the reformer Martin Luther lived 500 years ago, reformed the church, he he was uh, really um, hunted down um, for his for his faith and the reforms he was making in the church, and he really clung to this ver uh, section. In fact, he wrote the famous hymn. Maybe you've heard of it. A mighty fortress is our God, based on Psalm forty six. And I've just gotten some new insights on it. Um, I don't know about you, but 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 I feel like over these last few months, I've been more filled with anxiety, uh, depressed. Um, ever filled with sense of dread, you know, what's new? What's the next crazy thing that's going to happen, right? Oh, man, like, okay, the pandemic. I already mentioned this when we began. The pandemic, um, you know, now we're going to get quarantined. Now businesses are shutting down. Uh, now there's all this political unrest uh, as, as people have different opinions on it. Then there was the, the, the killing of many black men and women uh, by hands of police officers. Then there was the riots. Uh, then there was murder hornets. Then we had a tropical storm come through. Uh, and yesterday, a kangaroo was sighted in Franklin. I mean, it's just the most world that we are living in in 2020. And and so, man, just our my anxiety and 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 you know even bouts of depression or fear just are going up and down all over the place. 
And I think a lot of this also because we can't get together, you know, we are made to be connected to one another. We are not made to live in isolation. And so all this has kind of been so detrimental uh, to our emotional health. And then not only are those emotions of, of fear or guilt or that God is far away just can be so suffocating, but on top of that, you know, because they're so suffocating, what we will do um, to try to cope with unwanted emotions. If we have unwanted emotions, you know, we have, we have anxiety about the future, fear about the future. We can, the only way if we, if we don't deal with those emotions is to try to cope with them. And those emotions can be so overwhelming. We cope by coping mechanisms that usually aren't very healthy. All, all, never are healthy, really. And so we stuff these unwanted emotions. So uh, for me, my, my favorite go-to for stuffing unwanted emotions is food, you know, eat as much as I possibly can just to try to stuff the emotions down, unpleasant emotions, right? Um, some, it's drinking alcohol, you know, like because it works. You drink alcohol and you forget these unwanted emotions. It's a quick fix. It works right away, but never works in the long term, obviously. Maybe it's binging on, on Netflix or Facebook or social media, again, stuffing all of these emotions down, and whenever you try to use these coping mechanisms, you know, many people, I mean, there's been a huge increase in internet pornography. There's been a huge increase in, in domestic violence. People are trying to cope with this and they take out their unwanted feelings on the people in their life. They take them out on, on you know, numbing themselves or online pornography, all these things um, instead of getting to the heart of the anxiety. Why do I feel so anxious? Why do I feel so afraid? Why do I feel so guilty? Why does God feel so far away? And so we need to rediscover who God is, okay? I'm so thankful that, man, you guys are sticking on uh, to continue to discuss this. So thank you. This is exciting. Um, so Psalm 46 begins with this. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. So rediscover of who God is. See, here's the problem. When I see God as small and far away, and maybe angry with me, when that is my perspective of who God is, if God is small, then my problems are big. If God is small, then my problems are big. Then I got to deal with it. Then if, if, if God is small, then, so what we need to do is flip this around. We need to see how big God is, how close God is, how present he is. And guess what? Then my problems and my anxiety and my fear get small. It's a direct... You know, it's a signal. If you're anxious, you're depressed, um, you know, it's not to berate that, but usually, probably, it's because your God is too small. And so to rediscover, God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble. He's strong, he's big, he's a refuge that we can hide under, and he's ever-present. So it says, therefore, because God is big and strong and present, we will not fear though the earth give way. And the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, though its waters roar and foam and the mountains quake with their surging. You know, it doesn't matter how crazy this world gets. It doesn't matter what's going to happen tomorrow. What's going to happen? I don't know. We had a hurricane, you know, tropical storm passed through here yesterday, right? What could happen tomorrow? I don't know. We had kangaroos coming up in Franklin. I don't know what's going to happen tomorrow. But no matter what happens tomorrow, uh, no matter if I feel like I'm tossed in the open sea, if God is big and he is present and he is with me, we can make it. We can make it. Why? 
Why can we make it? Well, here's how we can make it. There is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God, the holy place where our most high dwells. Now, this is something that was new for me. Um, this is a new idea for me. In Jerusalem, there is no river. In Jerusalem, there is not a river that goes into Jerusalem. But there was, in the days of Hezekiah, Hezekiah lived about 700 years before Jesus, Hezekiah built an underground aqueduct, or, or like a, a river, a tunnel, a water, a, a underground sewer system, or like a spring, he built that because he saw the, this big bad empire of Assyria, this world power, and the capital of Assyria is maybe a town you've heard of, Nineveh, you know, that Jonah was sent to Nineveh. This was before they became the world power. Well, Assyria blew up to these world power about 700 BC. Uh, their first big emperor was Tiglath-Pileser. Tiglath-Pileser came through and destroyed the 10 northern tribes of Israel, took them off in exile, destroyed most of the known world. And then Assyria, under the emperor Sennacherib, comes down and says he's going to take control. He's going to destroy Jerusalem. And they sent, um, they sent their guards to kind of intimidate the, Jeru the people sitting on the wall of Jerusalem. And they said, you know what? Either you give up or you're going to have to eat. I mean, this, I, this is the colorful language that they would intimidate them. They said, either you give up Jerusalem and Jews or you're going to to starve to death, you're going to be so hungry, you're going to eat your own excrement and drink your own urine. That's what, they, that's what the Assyrians did. They were very brutal, and they would swarm around the this, this city they were about to des destroy and, and starve them first. But Hezekiah had built this aqueduct, this, this water tunnel, and so they would survive. There was a river whose streams make glad the city of our God, that although there was 185,000 Assyrian troops around the outside of Jerusalem, there was a river that was, that was still funneling into Jerusalem, so they had water for the people inside of Jerusalem. They, they still could have food. They still could survive. And that's such a beautiful picture. Although this world is crazy, it's just gone nuts. Um, racial inequality, uh, you know, riots, problems, you know, uh, division, pain, suffering, pandemic, I mean, just economy problem, political strife, all these things, internal battles, um, all these problems are, are, are like that, that 185,000 people outside, uh, you know, that, that, that enemy outside. And yet there's a stream that will make you glad, a stream that will sustain you. What is that stream? The word of God, what you guys are doing. I mean, you guys are sticking around for an hour-long Bible study. You're hearing God's word. I just, I'm so thankful that you want to do this, right? This is the stream, God's word. And I will devote my life to teaching you God's word. I will, you, I'll do anything I can to devote myself to teaching you God's word. And also not just his physical or you know audio word, the, the word that you can hear and read, but then the visible word, word of his sacraments. Baptism. Remembering your baptism. You, you need to be baptized, you know somebody to be baptized, I'll come and baptize them. 
the, the river of baptism, the river of God's grace, his love, and the Lord's Supper, the other thing that God gave us, the Lord's Supper, um, that's the other thing that, that God feeds us with, is his body and blood as we remember what he did on the cross, his new covenant that he made with us, that he is for us, that he loves us, that he has made a contract, he has put himself under a contract to love you and and, and in the old ancient world, um, when you wanted to make a contract with people, you didn't sign a dotted line. You ate a meal together. God eats this meal with us, the Lord's Supper, and puts himself under a covenant, a contract, this new covenant where God does everything, we do nothing, and he's completely devoted to us. Okay, so that is the river that we can have. Now, so I just want us to think about this. I'm super concerned. I said this at the beginning. If you weren't here in the beginning, I said in the beginning, I'm very concerned that this disruption of the pandemic has stopped healthy spiritual habits of daily Bible reading and weekly worship, where you crave week after week receiving the Lord's Supper, where you crave God's word week after week. I'm very concerned on that because guess what? You're cutting yourself off from the river of life. And the problems are going to seem bigger and bigger as you are not being fed on the river of life. We're going to be opening up in the next few weeks, but but if you need the Lord's Supper, you need to be baptized, you want to hear God's word, uh, and you don't want that digitally, I will come to your house and give you that. I, I will do everything I can to, to continue to let you have contact with the river of life because that's what's going to make you strong. All right, I'm going to keep reading here. And, and again, feel free to comment or discuss anything here that I'm saying, any, any questions you have, any comments, anything you want to add. Um, it, it's so good to see so many of you here still sticking around. So verse 4, there is a river whose streams make glad the city of our God, the holy place where the Most High dwells. God is within her. God's inside the city, and so she's not going to fall. God will help her at the, at the break of day. Nations are in uproar. Kingdoms fall. He lifts his voice. The earth melts. Our nation is in an uproar. But if God is inside of, 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 our, of, of, of our dwelling, if he is inside of his church, amongst his people, his new temple, our bodies, our, our, our collective community of believers, we will not fail. Um, the Assyrians came up as a world power, but they were destroyed. They owned the world for a few decades, and then they were destroyed by the Babylonians. The Babylonians owned the world for a few decades, then they were destroyed. The Persians then owned the world for a few decades. Then they were taken over by the Greeks, Alexander the Great. Then the, Alexander the Great owned the world for a few decades, and then the Romans came in. The Romans owned the world for a few hundred years, and then they were destroyed too. And so nations are uproar. They, they're going to be here today, gone tomorrow. The United States is going to be here today, gone tomorrow. In the morning, he came out and saw what, the, what, the, what, what God has done, and Sennacherib and his whole 185,000 person army had died overnight. God had destroyed their enemies without them fighting. God is going to take care of your enemies. All of these things that are outside of you that you're worried about, the pandemic, um, uh, racial injustice, God is going to deal with that. He will bring people to justice. God is going to deal with all these things. Um, and he's going to use human people and he can use you and it's not bad for you to join in the fight. Just don't join with an anxious heart. Don't join the battle thinking that you're fighting this battle alone. And here is the, 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 um, here's the application. Be still and know that I am God. 
I will be exalted among the nations. I'll be exalted in the earth. Now, here's the new insight that I had. Um, I've been reading a, a Bible translation by Robert Alter. Really great Bible translation. Um, and then I looked at the Hebrew and a couple other places. And he translates this section, not be still, but let go. Because literally the Hebrew word is loosen your grip. So you think about if you're in battle and you see this huge army outside of you, you're gripping your sword tight. You're ready to fight. You're ready to, to destroy your enemies. And God is saying, loosen your grip. If you think you're in control and you got to control everything, loosen your grip. Let go and, and, and let go and know that God is in charge. Okay? It's not just be still. That's, it's, a, it's okay, but that's not exactly the translation. It's loosen your grip. So where do you need to loosen your grip today? You loosen your grip on, 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 on trying to control everything that's going around you, control all these other things. That's where your anxiety comes from. It's holding on too tight in most cases. Most cases for me, at least, my anxiety comes like I have to fix everything. I have to figure it all out. I have to hold on so tight. And God is saying, loosen your grip. Loosen your grip. The Lord Almighty is with us. The God of Jacob is our fortress. Okay. Human beings have set themselves up to try to be their own gods, to find right and wrong for themselves. We have all tried to take on that role of Cain, or right? Where, where we think my problem is outside of me, and so we hate people. And Jesus says in, in, in Matthew 5 in the Sermon on the Mount, if you hate your brother, you're as good as a murderer. And, and, and the three most prolific authors in the Bible were all murderers. That's the thing they had in common. Moses, David, Paul were all murderers. Moses murdered the Egyptian. David murdered Uriah, the Hittite. And uh, Paul stood over uh, and, and approved of the murder of Stephan and, and many other Christians. So, and Paul says, you know, that I'm a chief of sinners and God, um, and and and. And here's a, here is a, a trustworthy servant, uh, trustworthy saying that deserves full acceptance. Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners of whom I am the worst. But for that very reason, I will show mercy so that in me, the worst of sinners, um, God might display his unlimited patience. So yes, at the cross, um, God, Jesus t would died. And, and in a sense, he was murdered. And he let himself be murdered. He, he let, them, let himself be murdered. Um, and he was treated as a murderer. He was, he, was, he was executed as if he had murdered the world um, as a way to forgive us of our sins. So that no matter, yes, if you've sinned um, and, and you've hated or you've even taken a life of somebody, you should turn to the Lord in, in repentance like that thief on the cross next to Jesus who said, Jesus, remember me when you enter your kingdom. And Jesus forgave the Moseses, the Davids, the Pauls, and that thief on the cross, those who turned to him. Now, that doesn't necessarily stop the consequences. Um, the consequences of justice, of, of earthly justice, and even divine justice. If somebody does not repent, does not change, does not accept their sin and, and, and turn to the Lord for forgiveness, God will bring ultimate divine justice on the last day. So nobody's going to get away with it. Hitler didn't get away with it. Stalin didn't get away with it. Murders don't get away with it. 
those who do not turn in repentance. But even if you do turn in repentance, like David had consequences for murdering Uriah. And so I think what it means in Genesis 9 is, yes, that sometimes God brings justice through his human representatives. This um, is his name, Derek Chauvin or whatever, the guy who murdered George Floyd. He is in custody. Thank God. Like it says in, in Romans chapter 13, God has given the sword to the government to carry out justice. And if even the people who are supposed to be God's representatives in the government, people who are supposed to carry out, um, keep the peace, outward peace, like police officers, if they go against um, that creed of justice, if they go against the law, they need to also be brought to justice. And so, um, and so I, you know, I don't know if this, I don't think this is demanding capital punishment necessarily, but it is allowing for it. Um, it is allowing for it that, 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 that if you shed the blood of another human being, you deserve death. Now, it doesn't mean you couldn't repent. It doesn't mean that you couldn't receive eternal forgiveness and be in God's presence. But God wants to bring outward peace to our society. And, and, and in the sense of Cain and Abel, God didn't kill Cain. Uh, he did have a curse on him. He did have consequences for life. It, it, life would be harder now, which is a good thing. We need consequences. It was a good thing that David's life was harder after he killed Uriah. As a reminder, I never want to hurt another human being again. Unjustly. I pray that we would rediscover how good God's word is. How good your word is. That it makes us wise for salvation, even from infancy. And that's God breathed. This Bible is amazing, God. It's an amazing book. It's a never-ending ocean of, of your love, of your justice, of your wisdom, of direction. We will never get to the bottom of it. So thank you for your word. Open our eyes. Help give us a revelation of how beautiful it is. And then, Lord God, we, we, our habits are broken up because of this pandemic. We're not used to maybe daily Bible reading. Just like maybe we're not used to the exercise and other routines. Bring us back to good healthy habits of spiritual disciplines, of reading your word, of prayer, of gathering in worship. Help us to guard the day of worship as this precious moment where we need to worship you with other people. Help us to, to treasure, to long, be hungry for the Lord's Supper, that, 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 that we'd be willing, you know, to, to give up all of our, our money and treasure if at the end of that, that could, we could receive the Lord's Supper. A communion, communion with you and communion with one another. Help us to rediscover how good you are because when you are big in our lives, our problems are small. But our problems are big right now, I think, Lord God, because we have forgotten about you. So Jesus, pour your blood all over us. Forgive us. Help us to rediscover how good you are, how wonderful you are, so that we would follow you no matter what. In your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Victory Podcast. 
brought to you by Victory of the Lamb in Franklin, Wisconsin. For video sermon archives, more information about us, and to let us know how we can meet you where you're at, go to victoryofthelamb.com.